0: Welcome to The Extra, the show that connects you with the issues, topics, and people that are important to you. And certainly in our community, we have had our share of tragedies, but another one hitting very close to home, right in the heart of our city, the shooting at Club Q, which had been described as a haven, a safe place for the LGBTQ community to come together, to enjoy nightlife, daytime brunches, to just be safe. And yet it was unfortunately wracked by violence and tragedy when a gunman opened fire in the club and shot and killed five people, shot and wounded numerous others. And the healing of the community, of those grieving families, is only just beginning And so we are turning our attention to uh, some of the interesting findings that have come out in the aftermath of that. And so joining us today, we are going to be talking a little later on with a chaplain for one of our medical facilities here in Colorado Springs, who's going to be talking to us about how to handle uh, the trauma, uh, whether it's primary or secondary, or just being a member of this community and, and seeing this happen in your community, how to handle that trauma how to you know find ways of release find counseling if if you think you need it and what to know are the warning signs for looking for counseling things like that we will be having that discussion a little later on but let's start off this hour of conversation uh, with a national correspondent for the education uh, website chalkbeat patrick wall is joining us uh, on the extra right now patrick welcome to the show
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And Patrick, the reason that we wanted to bring you on here is that you've done some reporting uh, on LGBTQ students. And, and the findings, I'm not sure if they are surprising, but I think they're shocking in the magnitude of how many LGBTQ students say that they have gone through school not feeling safe. Uh, tell us what, first of all, your findings, your study found.
1: Yeah, that's right. So we have written about uh, a few recent surveys of students across the country. And as you mentioned, they really are stark in terms of what they show. And, And I should note too, they're consistent with earlier findings. So this is kind of a consistent pattern. And so there was a survey done by the CDC of high school students last year, and they found that three out of four LGBTQ students Reported feeling persistently sad or hopeless over the past year, which is more than twice the rate of their peers, and that nearly half of those students had considered attempting suicide, which again was um, much higher, three times the rate of uh, heterosexual peers. And um, that was that was just one survey. Again, there there are others that have come to similar findings, including in Colorado. Um, did uh, its own survey of middle school and high school students last year, they found that fewer than half of gay and lesbian students felt like they belonged at school. Um, So about half did not feel like they belong, as opposed to about 70% of straight students who felt like they belong. and that more than one in four transgender young people had reported attempting suicide over the past year, which was three times the rate of their peers. And so... Again, even in a place that that might seem more welcoming to those students, they still um, had had much um, higher rates of mental health challenges. And then another uh, finding kind of beyond just the mental health component uh, in some of these surveys is the experiences of these students at school, which I think kind of helps explain why some of them are facing um, these mental health challenges, feeling anxious and depressed in some cases. And so what those surveys show is that a large number of students experience uh, mistreatment. More than 80% of LGBTQ students said they experienced harassment or assault um, during the 2021 school year. So that was during the pandemic. Um, And then this really stood out to me that nearly 60% of students said they heard teachers or other staff members make homophobic remarks. And so I think, you know, some people might think, well, you know, bullying is certain, certainly a problem a lot of students face it, but it is more than just bullying among peers. It's also adults at schools um, mistreating students, using uh, pronouns that students have said they that do not reflect their identity, um, making remarks offhandedly about gay people or, um, transgender people. And so the kind of overall um, upshot of that is that of LGBTQ students uh, in middle and high school said they feel unsafe at school. And so, again, I think that kind of helps explain why so many of those students just, um, you know, are really struggling in a lot of ways uh, with their mental health and their feelings of safety
0: right now. Right. And Patrick, when you mention... Uh, school environment uh, you know that is surprising about staff members about teachers because you know as a child you try so hard going through school going through junior high and high school you try so hard to to gain acceptance and and to have I mean you know I'm a people pleaser but I so I know that I did it but all all students it seems like want to have uh, that understanding teacher I mean that can make your school years pass so much more pleasantly. And and at the same time we do know that that schools and administrations have tried and doubled down on their efforts to be accepting safe places for LGBTQ non binary students. So so where's the disconnect here?
1: Right. You know, I what I heard from speaking with experts is that, you know, there are a few different levels. One is that higher up policy, so at the state level and district level certainly make a difference and so for example um something very basic like having an anti-bullying policy um at the state level that explicitly includes lgbtq students makes a big difference if it's just kind of a general policy where you know harassment is not allowed that has been found to not be as effective and so there are there are kind of high level policies that can make a difference but also it really depends on the leadership at the local level so that's principals um, other administrators at the schools, and i superintendents. Um, they kind of set the tone of what's accepted and what's not. And, you know, they they can go a long way in, in making students feel welcome. They can also have trainings for staff because in a lot of cases, you know, staff that have been around for a longer time, some of this might be new to them. Some of the identities that students have, um, you know, the terms they use, things like that. And so they might just need training to, get up to speed on this. Um, and then, um, beyond, I think though, the, the kind of supportive policies, I think the other thing to note though, is that in some places there are active efforts to kind of, um, dismantle some of these supportive efforts. And so I'm sure we can talk about some of the laws that are being, um, enacted across the country, but some of those, um, some of those laws are, are going after those very policies that are meant to make students feel welcome by seeing themselves reflected in the literature that is used in class or the restrooms, they're allowed to use, things like that. And so while there are definitely um, administrators, school leaders, folks like that, who are working to make students feel welcome, there is kind of a, a countervailing effort to um, resist some of those policies and actually make schools in some ways less welcoming.
0: Patrick, let's take a short break right here. When we come back, let's talk about, you know, these pushes and where they're originating and the damage that they may be doing to students who are trying to find acceptance. That when the extra continues. We're back with the extra and national correspondent of education, Patrick Wall, who has written an article, and more than one, but the latest one, saying that more than 80% of LGBTQ students say they faced harassment or assault at school. And we're going to be posting a link to that article when we post this on our blog site. But in the meantime, Patrick, let's talk about, you know, there Certainly during the last election cycle, there was a lot of talk for uh, various bills, various laws and initiatives that were going on around the country uh, that were aiming to uh, dictate what could be discussed at schools and, and what sort of things could be allowed at schools. And some of it seemed to uh, be intolerant. I mean, face it—that's that was the bottom line. Is that the—is that what students are getting the message of?
1: Yeah. So, a lot of the laws that we're seeing, and and you know, just they they over, overwhelmingly have been introduced by Republican um, lawmakers and governors. They um, they're often kind of framed as. Um, under the kind of banner of parents rights and so they are saying that parents should be in control of of students upbringing and their exposure to certain topics and those shouldn't be addressed at school i think what critics of the law say is that the implication is that things are being taught or done in school that really aren't um, happening or there isn't a lot of evidence there might be some kind of anecdotes of of individual things happening but um, that it's kind of a misrepresentation of, of what's actually being taught or done at school. Um, but that that is kind of the justification for it. And you hear, I think the most hope, high profile example of this is in Florida with Governor Rod Santis. And you know, he had his kind of signature bill was called the parent parental rights in education, and he spoke about trying to limit what he called the woke gender ideology in schools, and so kind of making the case that these kind of very far left ideas about gender and sexuality were kind of being imposed on students in school. And so in that state, they passed a law that um, restricts teachers in the lower grades from any discussion of gender or sexuality uh, in the classroom. And then with older students, it limits it to what's considered age appropriate. But something that has come up there and other states that have started to pass similar laws is that it's very vague what that means, you know, what's age appropriate, what counts as a lesson about gender or sexuality. And so what we're seeing, and and I've reported on some of this and talking to folks, is that schools are kind of over-interpreting the laws to be safe. And so we've heard of teachers taking down rainbow flags or safe space stickers or pictures of their same-sex partners um, just so that they don't run afoul of the law. We've heard of some places getting rid of their LGBTQ clubs for students, which are are shown to be supportive and and actually make a real big difference when a school offers them. I've heard of instances of, and this gets to another law, which prohibits schools from letting um, transgender students use the bathroom or locker room that uh, matches their gender identity. Um, States like Alabama had that. I've heard in those cases of, of kids, trans kids, not using the bathroom all day at school, just waiting until they get home because they're Are no longer kidding? allowed to use. This. Yeah, they um, just
0: don't feel comfortable in the in the group yeah, bathrooms. Yeah, they don't feel
1: comfortable. Oh. Right. Um, I've heard that from pediatricians, from parents, um, that that's having a real a real effect. It, um, and that you know, if, if they do use bathroom, they're forced to use one that doesn't match their identity and sometimes their appearance, and that you know they feel can put them in danger. Um, so those are those are a couple of laws. There are others. I think another very common one um, is banning transgender students, especially trans girls, from playing on sports teams that uh, match their gender identity. Um, other laws allow parents to opt their kids out of um, lessons on sexuality or gender, um, which, again, some of these things like that, Well, you know, on, on the surface, I think there, you might understand, okay, well, that is just giving parents some choice. But in practice, what we've heard is that teachers will then just avoid going into those topics at all, because, you know, just the kind of logistics of sending home those forms. And so they might just get rid of any mention, for example, in a history class of the LGBTQ rights movement, the civil rights movement in the U.S. Um, just because you know they fear kind of running afoul of those laws. Um, mm. so that that seems to be kind of a a trend is is these laws and even just the threat of them or the threat of pushback from, you know um, conservative activists, things like that, kind of, Leading to a chilling effect in schools.
0: That that brings to mind that don't say gay law in Florida that uh, was uh, being uh, that Governor Rick DeSantis was a proponent of. Uh, But but at the same time, if if an employee of a school district identified as a a different sexual orientation and or transgendered the school district would have to uh, have to respect that employee's rights. It's almost like uh, they are putting the students in a different class uh, than they would treat their own employees.
1: Yeah, you know, and that there have been lawsuits that are ongoing challenging these laws saying that it does violate um, students and, and staff members' rights. Um, but as far as you know, kind of respecting a an employee's kind of identity, that was even at question. Um, I was I sat in on a kind of virtual um, Q and A for teachers in Florida uh, with uh, uh, advocacy group there, and, and their lawyers were saying at that time they weren't sure if they could still, for example, put up a picture of their same-sex partner because that could be interpreted as discussing um, sexuality with their students and that could put them at risk. Um, I think the state has kind of backed away from that, but part of the challenge is they hadn't actually, the state had not put out um, any guidance on how to interpret the law yet. And so it was really just kind of people trying to, you know, interpret it for themselves, and again, kind of taking the most conservative interpretation so they don't get in trouble.
0: Patrick Wall is our guest right now, national correspondent for the education journalism website Chalkbeat. Patrick, we need to take a short break. If you could stick around, that would be great, because when we come back, we'd like to talk to you about what the educational experience is of LGBTQ students when they are experiencing uh, some of the things you've been talking about. Also, how breaks down I understand uh, uh, girls uh, may experience uh, more impact than boys and we'll talk about that and why Uh, that when we uh, return in our second half hour but before we get back to Patrick we're going to be interviewing uh, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Keith a chaplain for UC Health Memorial Hospital about ways to seek out support and when to know you need that support if you're undergoing primary secondary, or even just the trauma of being in a community that's been hit by this level of tragedy once again. The Extra continues after these messages. We're back with Patrick Wall, national correspondent for Chalkbeat. And uh, Patrick, uh, you've written an article, uh, the headline of which is, more than 80% of LGBTQ students say they have faced harassment or assault at school. Assault. That is significant, that things uh, elevate, escalate to the point where they are suffering physical outcomes from this. How many students do you think uh, who are identifying as LGBTQ experience something like that?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, as you mentioned, it's it's a really high percentage. And, I, you know, I was, I was taken aback by that too. But um, as I mentioned, there are multiple surveys that have found um, similar reports of harassment and assault in schools so it does seem to be um, widespread and you know it's it, over time I think um, in some cases conditions have improved in some schools you know as we were talking about some places have tried to um, make schools more welcoming but actually in the last couple of years some of these um, indicators have gotten worse um, in the last year or two in terms of more students feeling that saying they feel unsafe and experiencing this kind of mistreatment and you know it's the surveys themselves don't get into the causes of that so we can't say for sure but advocates definitely say that the kind of general climate right now in the country where there is um you know as we've been talking about some of these legal efforts to restrict the rights of lgbtq people um there have been a growing number of protests targeting things like drag brunches um all kinds of different um different kind of debates and things involving gender and sexuality, that that has a real impact on students, um, experiences in school. And, um, you know, just as one example of that, a, a different survey that I saw said that among transgender and non-binary young people who were kind of paying attention, following the news on about these laws, 85% of them said that this has negatively impacted their mental health. And so, You know, I think just even if they're not in the same place where these laws are in effect or they, you know, they haven't personally found, um, you know, been affected, just knowing that this is going on really does um, kind of uh, affect them. And I spoke with students who told me that the impression they get from these laws, from hearing people kind of debating their identity, is that there must be something wrong with them. You know, if people are wanting to put these restrictions on them and that, you know, something, something must be bad about them. And so just feeling kind of not welcome anywhere in their school, in their community, in the country when they hear this kind of rhetoric.
0: Well, we want to... um talk to you more, but I do want to offer a resource uh, that people can consult uh, if they are, are listening to this and they want to provide support to a family member, if they want to guide a child to support, if they want to simply be an ally and know about ways to do it. Uh, the organization, and I believe it's Glisten, G-L-S-E-N dot org, has information on how to create a better, better world for LGBTQ students. Students And it was founded by a group of teachers. So they are on the front lines of seeing uh, the impacts that uh, harassment, uh, that assaults uh, because of sexual orientation, all that can play and, and interrupt and disrupt a student's education. How did it break down, Patrick, your, the findings that you were reporting on in terms of boys versus girls who felt uh, this harassment more keenly or who, whose educational experience was disrupted more?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, there definitely is, is a large gender gap and, um, that is, that's been another kind of consistent finding, um, that girls have had much worse mental health outcomes in general that predated the pandemic, but it has gotten even worse, um, over the past couple of years. And so one of these surveys, for example, asked, um, how many middle school students kind of reported feeling happy and, um, Girls were much less likely than boys, Um, and the lowest, um, in terms of gender identity, were non-binary students. Only about one in four of them um, in middle school said they felt happy, whereas um, 70% of boys in middle school said they did. So um, there there are really big um, gender gaps as well.
0: And uh, you quoted a pediatrician who said that such uh, intolerance that they uh, report is is sadly common in schools and and that when these students face bullying i mean not only can it lead to uh you know mental health crises but also educational suffering even physical suffering just the physical uh outcome of stress and trauma uh what are uh i guess do you have any action points that uh, maybe your reporting could have pointed to
1: yeah well um that is i think that's really important to mention that there there are things that schools can do um, to make them more supportive more welcoming for all students including lgbtq students and so you know we talked about some of them things like having um, clubs for those students um, having really explicit anti-bullying policies that are enforced um, featuring different groups including lgbtq um, people in The books that are read in class and history lessons, things like that, that all makes a difference. And I think something that's really important to note is that studies on um, on those kind of policies have found that they benefit all students, not just LGBTQ students. Um, I spoke with someone at the CDC who said that you know it's something that their their sense is that when you kind of get rid of that toxicity towards one group of students, it kind of changes the whole culture of the school. And the findings have been that there's less, in general, emotional distress among students, less violence, um, lower risk of suicide uh, kind of across the board. And so I think that that's something that, you know, to keep in mind and to, to use to kind of make the case for these supportive policies, that they certainly do help LGBTQ students who are at the highest risk, but they also benefit all students.
0: They uplift the entire student community. I love that, I love hearing that. All right, Patrick Wall, a senior reporter covering national education issues. Thank you for joining us here on The Extra and shedding more light on this issue, which uh, I think it has uh, the entire community tuned in, uh, extremely sensitive, uh, maybe getting their eyes opened a bit to some of the challenges, experienced by our fellows in the community. But we appreciate your reporting and we appreciate you joining us here on The Extra.
1: Thank you for having me and thanks for discussing these really important issues.